This is Church of the Resurrection in Wheaton, Illinois. This week's sermon is by Canon Stephen Gautier and is from the 10th Sunday after Pentecost. If you've known me for 20 minutes, you know that I love coffee. This is not a secret. It's just who I am. And it shouldn't surprise you then that I have a gold car to my favorite coffee chain. So many, you're supposed, the theory is that so many drinks and so you get a free coffee. Okay. Now, not only did I have a gold card recently, something happened. I got two gold cards. I don't know how that happened, but I got two gold cards, one in the mail. And the next time I went to my coffee shop, what happened was I tried. One of the cards would not work. Unfortunately, that was where most of my balance was. So I asked my friendly barista, say, gee, can you help me out? And uh, she's very nice. I said, I wish I could, but actually, you have to do that on our website. You know, go to the website and try it there. That became my, that was the start of my journey. Okay. At the website, I found out all sorts of amazing things I could do with my account. Everything except how to access it and to combine it with my other account. I tried everything, and so I desperately looked in the ultra-fine print at the bottom of the website, and I found an actual telephone number for something. It's not clear why it was called a customer service line. So I called the customer service line, and what happened is I was treated to an incredible number of options for every problem I could imagine but my own. So I imagined, though, I held on because I thought at the end what would happen is stay on the line and you wait for someone, they say your call is important to us, right? That's how it goes, but it didn't happen that way. They scolded me and told us they'd be happy to send me back, the automated voice, to the main menu or I could go to the website. I desperately pressed on the zero again and again, but it would do nothing. So that's where I was left. Unfortunately, this became something of a minor obsession, a personal project. For the next day or two, every spare moment, I thought, this will be it. I'll, I missed something at the website. Maybe, again, if I go into some of those, for those numbers that sound like nothing to do with my problem, on the telephone line, it will help. It didn't. Finally, it was Saturday afternoon, and I shared my, my, my journey of pain with my wife. Now, if you know anything about my wife, she is a woman of action. And so in 15 minutes, she came to me with a little slip of paper with a telephone number. She explained that she knew of a website that will actually give you a number within a major corporation that you can get to customer service, go around all those hurdles, you just can't get help. I was skeptical. And I thought, especially a Saturday afternoon, what are the chances? But I was desperate. And so I called anyway. And the phone rang, and it rang once and twice and three times. And finally, as I was about to hang up, somebody answered, who appeared to be as startled as I was that this call came through. (laughs) And I couldn't believe it. She couldn't believe it. And after we both overcame our surprise, I told her uh, what was destroying my life. And she told me that uh, she, in fact, was kind and gentle. She said, that's easy to fix. She fixed it for me. I was off the phone. You know, shades of Moby Dick, you know, calling Ahab, my quest for the great white was at an end. Even now, I can still remember sort of the thrill of getting that voice I never expected to hear. Well, on a more serious note, 
we as human beings have faced much the same problem since our fall with sin. You know, Paul tells us in Romans 1, he says, we can clearly see there's a God. We can see his goodness, his intelligence, the beauty of God. We see it all around us. It's evident to anyone. But we just couldn't connect. He was somehow elsewhere. We couldn't break through to find God. There seemed to be an insurmountable barrier as wide a gap as the heavens from the earth that separated us from actually seeing this God that we saw all around us, somehow contacting him. Which brings us the incredible experience of Jacob's dream. In the book of Genesis, in chapter 28, Jacob, he's going on a trip. He's going to actually find his spouse. He will be gone from his homeland for years before he returns. It's a very major journey, a very uncertain one. And so one night he lays down and he sleeps, but he has one of those more truer than life dreams. He sees a a ladder going up and down from heaven with angels ascending and descending, but more important, at the top, he sees an opening, he sees God, who swears an oath to him, makes a covenant with him. This incredible, unbridgeable gap, there it was. There was a way to connect. There was an opening, and there was God who spoke to him. Now, what's his response to this? And we have it on the sermon page. It says, how awesome is this place? This is the gate of heaven. The door of heaven, I've seen it. There it is. Now, we have always been taught, of course, that prayer is our own gateway to heaven. That's true. And it's more than what Jacob, we can actually break, it's more than what I experienced with my gold card. It's not breaking through just to a live human being. It's to the living God. We know that. But somehow that's not our experience. Instead of rushing through the door, we find ourselves hesitant or even resistant. In today's gospel, Jesus deals with just that issue. Jesus doesn't just tell us how to find that door, but he tells us something more important, how do we address the issue of why we're hesitating, why we're resisting. In the gospel readings, the apostles ask one specific question. They ask, how do we pray? Jesus answers that, but he goes on and doesn't stop there. You know, he, again, deals with a deeper problem. So our our focus today is what is that deeper problem and how do we move beyond? So what is the deeper problem that's stopping us from going through that door of prayer? And how do we remove that? How do we remove the hesitation, the resistance that we experience? Well, let's begin by looking at our passage. It's It's on page 10 in your bulletin. And notice something, that the passage begins with Jesus praying. And this was not an isolated moment. If you read in the Gospel of Luke, which is the Gospel reading this year, you'll see, Jesus prays constantly. We see references to Jesus' prayer everywhere. For example, in all in the greatest moments of his life, we find Jesus in prayer. Sometimes we forget this. At his baptism, we all know the story. He's in the Jordan, right? And we have the clouds, the heavens open, the Holy Spirit descends like a dove upon him, the voice of God, but we miss a detail. What was Jesus doing after his baptism? It tells us in Luke. It tells us that now, while all the people were baptized and Jesus had been baptized, he was praying. And the heavens opened and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. He was praying when this happened. You know the wonderful moment of the transfiguration? You know, Jesus, shortly before his passion, he suddenly, we see the fullness of his Godhead. He's dazzling white. We have Moses. We have Elijah next to him. But what happens before that transfiguration occurs? Well, Luke tells us, Luke 9, 
And as he was praying, the appearance of his face was altered, and his clothing became dazzling white. Key to Jesus' ministry from the very beginning of his ministry, he called apostles, disciples, to be with him. They would be his continuation, the foundation of the church, Jesus tells us. We're told the apostle tells us that the apostles are the foundation with Jesus Christ being our cornerstone. The most, the most important decision of Jesus' life, what do we hear in Luke? He prayed all night. It says in Luke, in those days he went out to the mountain to pray, and all night he continued in prayer to God. And when day came, he called his disciples and chose from them twelve whom he named apostles. We all know the story. The day before he died, he knew he was dying the next day. His last moments, his last hours were spent in prayer. But more than that, Luke tells us that Jesus prayed at other times other than great moments. He says in passing, Luke 5, he said he would withdraw. It was his habit to withdraw to desolate places and pray. So Jesus was a man of prayer. He was a true human being. And such, he was a man of prayer. So it's this day, it's this man of prayer that the apostles had come to know, and they see him now praying, and someone says, how does he do it? Tell us how to pray. And of course, he certainly does. He responds by teaching them the Lord's Prayer. But he doesn't stop there. Jesus knows that knowing how to pray isn't enough. Remember, as I said before, there's a deeper problem that has to be addressed. So what's the problem? Jesus doesn't waste any time. He gets right to the point. We don't really trust God. We sort of see God as that friend who promised to pick us up at the airport and forgot. Meant well, but sometimes he just doesn't come through. Jesus is honest about it. That's how we feel. He gives an example. He said, isn't this amazing? We all believe that a mediocre friend who can't be bothered to help us because we need help will help us out simply to avoid the hassle. We all can believe that, but we can't believe the God who created us and loved us can be troubled that much. Did you realize how incredible this is? You believe a, mid, a nothing, a middling friend who just doesn't want you around to get rid of you. We don't believe that God will take even that much trouble. So why do we believe, uh, again, that God, we can't count on God? And Jesus goes on to that when he talks about the son asking for, asking for something. All of us have had the experience of unanswered prayer, every last one of us, and of serious things. We know, for example, who among us hasn't had the, can you, I don't know what this is, had the experience of a sick relative, for example, someone you're desperately praying for. You hope they're going to recover. And we've seen at this church remarkable recoveries. God answers prayer. But there are times it doesn't seem that way. People we know and love die despite our prayers. It happens. That's the truth. We know that things happen in our life, a job we desperately, not selfishly, for our family to support to pay things. We don't get the job. We're passed over for the scholarship. Um, we don't get the promotion. We prayed so hard and it just doesn't happen. We have our own experience here at Church of the Resurrection. We used to meet in a high school and the trouble was there, you know, we so dreamed of the day where we wouldn't have to rush out to be out after 30 minutes. We could actually have life during the week here, do all sorts of things. We wanted that day. And we thought we had it. In the Lord, we found a piece of land we called the Wagner Land. It was on Roosevelt Road, and it seemed perfect. We prayed and we prayed, and not just prayed, it showed how deep we were into this. We actually gave till it hurt to put money aside for purchasing that land. 
And imagine how we felt when we had a meeting of the county board and they turned down the, the zoning variance. We were shocked. We'd done everything we were supposed to, not just, just praying, we'd given, we'd put our whole confidence, and there we were. So we all have had that experience of unanswered prayer. So Jesus deals with, as he talks about the story of the sun and the, and the, he talks about the sun and the fish and the sun and the egg. What he says basically is, God will say no to us if that's what's best for us. Actually, God is most faithful in those no's. You see, what's really happening here is the child thinks he's asking in the case for a fish, but actually he's asking for a serpent. He misperceives. And the father will not give a serpent no matter how much he wants it, no matter how much it seems like a fish. The son asks for an egg. It's really a scorpion. The father's not going to give him no matter what, how much he asks, how much he begs for it. He will never hurt us. Indeed, we often find we have examples of God's no really being a profound yes. Take our example of the Wagner land. The money we had set aside, this building, is paid for basically with the money that would have just bought the land. It's a miracle from God. God, the reason God said no is there was a building here for us. He had a better plan. God often closes doors to open them. Some, like the Wagner land, we see this. We live to see God vindicated, that God knew all along. Others we will not know until we see God face to face. Now, I'll give you a personal testimony. I've had, you know, I'm near the end of my career. I'm going to retire soon in my, my job as a CPA. I've raised all my children and adults. I've got to tell you, in my lifetime, looking back, I see God as much or more in the doors he's closed in my life and the ones he's opened. Didn't see that way at the time, but honestly, that's my experience I would share with you. Indeed, I've taken comfort. I believe that Romans uh, 8.27 basically says that God always answers the prayer we should have prayed. I take that as a comfort. I might ask for the wrong thing. So I can earnestly pray. It doesn't matter what I pray for. God will hear the prayer I should have prayed. That's a comfort. That's what God's telling us, what Jesus is telling us. But Jesus then concludes telling us there is one thing, though, we can be sure is absolutely in all circumstances the right thing to pray for. And one thing that God will always give us is the, is the right thing, it's the truly good thing God will never refuse. It's the Holy Spirit. Not the gifts, not just the gifts of the Holy Spirit, not just the fruits of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit himself. And we might say, well, Honestly, why the Holy Spirit? Why, of all things, why would it be the Holy Spirit? Well, in the Bible, breath is the symbol of life. How do you know something is living? It's breathing. When something ceases breathing, it's dead. In the Bible, look at the creation of man. It says, in the Lord, in Genesis 2, the Lord formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. It was God's breath they gave him life. Breath is the symbol of life. Well, in both the, the languages, the original languages of the Bible in Hebrew and Greek, the word breath is the word spirit. The Holy Spirit is the holy breath. It's the breath of God. The third person of the Trinity is the actual life of God. When we proclaim the creed, we'll say it in a few minutes, we say, we believe in the Holy Spirit, what? The Lord, the giver of life. The holy breath of God, the giver of life. To receive the Holy Spirit is to receive a life, God's own life, a sharing of his life that never ends. 
That's why we have a hope of the resurrection. Paul explains it. He says if we have the Holy Spirit, God's eternal life, we cannot, our body cannot but resurrect. That life is bigger than death. Paul says in Romans 8, if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. That spirit, despite our death, will raise our bodies. That life of God will join us to God. Now, you might say we've all theologically, you know, we've all received baptism. In baptism, we've received the Holy Spirit. That's our regeneration. We've all received the Holy Spirit. So why should we continue to pray? If we've all received the Holy Spirit, what is there to continue to pray about? Or more importantly, why does Jesus pray? At the beginning of his, his career, his ministry, he receives the Holy Spirit as a baptism. It comes down in bodily form. Why does Jesus pray? Let me use the example of breathing. We talk about the Holy Spirit being the holy breath of God. Think about breathing. We breathe in and we breathe out. If you don't breathe out, you can never take another breath. To breathe in and not breathe out is death. Breath is not something we do once. It's something we have to do. We receive a breath and we return to breath. That's life. It keeps going on. It's this, so when we receive, God gives us life and love. We respond by giving it back. He gives us more life and love. We respond by giving it back. We breathe in, we breathe out. There's a theological term for this. It's called prayer. That's what prayer is. It's the lifting of the mind to heart to God. It's giving God back simply what he's given us. And he gives us life and love. We give his life and love back. You know, in the world, we would say we don't have any trouble understanding that, gee, breathing is not an extra plus like exercising. If you don't breathe, you don't live. But in the spiritual life, sometimes we think prayer is for certain special spiritual people. You know, they have that time. And no, our, our prayer to us is spiritually as necessary and natural as breathing. That's what life in God is. We receive his life and love. We give it back. Give you an analogy for me. I've got to confess, I'm not proud of this. My old family doctor said I had white coat syndrome. It means I get very nervous around medical things. My blood pressure actually goes up when I go to the doctor's office. I wish it weren't that way. And it makes things tough with medical procedures because my muscles tighten up. It makes, it's actually a difficulty with medical procedures. So you can imagine the special challenge we faced, my doctor and I, when I had to have my first lumbar puncture, a spinal tap. They put a long needle up your spine. So knowing me, etc., you, I would tense up. I still rem I can remember it now. It's saying at those last moments after the anesthetic and saying, okay, bring your knees up to your chest, take a deep breath. But that wasn't the end. As it proceeded, he said, keep breathing. And he said, keep breathing through the procedure. Now, it seems to me that the same is true of our spiritual life. When things start to get tough, our natural reaction is actually to pull away from God, to sort of help out, to, to hunker down and get the word. And then we'll, we'll mention God in passing, but to hunker down and get it done. Except the exact opposite is true. We should hear Jesus saying to us, take a deep breath, like Jesus did at every critical juncture of his life. But it's not that one deep breath. We can hear Jesus saying as we go through our everyday life, all the regular things of life, keep breathing. Keep breathing. So the heart of prayer is the Holy Spirit, the breath of God, the breath we receive, the breath we give back, not once, every moment of our lives. It's the story of life, every moment of our life. 
God promised us, this is the right thing to ask for. I'll give it to you. So let's pray today for that renewal of the Holy Spirit, that revival of the life of the Holy Spirit within us, that breath of God within us, so that we can not hesitate, not resist, but enter through that gate of prayer and like Jacob say, how awesome is this place? This is the gate of heaven. Amen. Thanks for listening. Our vision at Church of the Resurrection is to equip everyone for transformation. As part of that vision, we love to share dynamic teaching, original music, and stories of transformation. For more of what you heard today, check out the rest of our podcast. To learn more about our ministry, visit churchres.org.